Pod's own country, the politics podcast from the Yorkshire Post. My name is Caitlin Doherty and I am your new Westminster correspondent. This week we have an exclusive interview with new Batley and Spen MP Kim Leadbeater telling us about finding her bearings in Parliament and how she found the very, very close run election campaign. But before that, let's talk a little bit about one of the Prime Minister's big promises, levelling up the UK. We heard from Boris Johnson this week about his plans and political editor Rob Parsons has been covering this topic in a lot of detail for several years now. Um, So, Rob, you've been doing... You've been reporting on levelling up for quite a long time um, with a whole run of stories this week. What forms do people think levelling up should take and what have you been hearing from people recently? Hi, Caitlin. Thank you. Um, Yes. So levelling up has been kind of the watchword of the government, its central mission, I guess, as it describes it, since Boris Johnson was elected uh, in December 2019 on the back of major gains uh, across the north and Yorkshire. And it, it's it's a, a phrase that's almost, in some quarters, has almost lost a bit of meaning. I think that people seem to think that it can be applied to any number of different situations. And as such has, you know, there's, there's a lack of meat on the bones of what it actually means for particular constituencies across the north, other than being, uh, in some people's view, a sort of electoral tactic to get, to get the Conservatives back into power again. So yes, as you said, we've, we've heard from Boris Johnson this week. He's delivered a, a big speech talking about his mission in this area. But actually, uh, levelling up on what form it should take has been on the minds of quite a lot of people this week. I think I must have written four or five stories that have mentioned levelling up. And uh, I guess depending on what viewpoint you're coming from uh, dictates people's views on it. There's an interesting online events uh, today, which I've been having a look at, about how education and skills can further the levelling up agenda. And we've been hearing from the chief executive of Doncaster Council, Doncaster obviously being an area that has uh, educational outcomes, which are a long way below the national average, a lack of skills and a lack of pay for a lot of workers in in the area. And in, in Doncaster, they uh, the leader of the council, sorry, the chief executive of the council, uh, describing levelling up. Uh, basically, he says it, it, it isn't just about new shiny buildings or redirected bus routes. The key to unlocking our potential really does lie in our skills base and the existing system isn't delivering for us. Levelling up needs to recognise that we need to do things differently here. And I think it kind of reflects that sense that it's all very well announcing 20 million for a new bus station which actually is happening in uh, in Doncaster in fact a train station but uh, you know and a bit of jazzy infrastructure here and uh, that kind of thing it is it will only go so far and actually the government needs to start tackling some of these more ingrained uh, issues that have been plaguing the north for years and on on a different topic uh, manufacturing the uh, conservative leaning think tank onward uh, which is quite influential in conservative circles, has put forward their own view about how to how best to level up the country. And they, they say the Prime Minister needs to offer tax breaks uh, for manufacturing, which obviously manufacturing is a, a big part of uh, you know northern industry and uh, outside London, people working in the manufacturing sector tend to earn more than the average employee. So it's a pretty big 
part of life uh, in the north. But I think according to this think tank, it's not, uh, you know, manufacturing is not paying a, a big enough part in the north's plans. And also this week, uh, the Northern Research Group, which was an organisation that came into being after the 2019 general election formed by Jake Berry, the former Northern Powerhouse Minister, who says that the Prime Minister needs to show the North uh, some love this summer. And that love uh, takes a few different forms, including helping to create a a science and engineering corridor to bring high paying jobs to the region, uh, transport, as well as a whole load of different issues that these Conservative MPs would like the Prime Minister to address. I mean, it's an interesting one, really, because uh, it seems like the government wants to move on from the difficulties of the last 18 months with the pandemic to getting back to his domestic agenda. But, you know, for a lot of people, um, the pandemic is still very much uh, a major fact of life. We've got the we're in the third wave of it right now. Cases are spiralling across northern England. You may get a fourth wave in the winter. And we know that parts of northern England are more likely to be affected by the pandemic than the south. So, you know, the, the, the continuance of the pandemic is going to only exacerbate the uh, the inequalities that levelling up is designed designed to address. So in some respects, it's a bit odd for the government to be wanting to turn to levelling up when the pandemic is still a pretty big thing going on. But I, you can see why they would want to start uh, you know, moving the agenda on to these different, different issues. So I think we're going to be hearing a lot more from Boris Johnson and Conservative ministers in the next few weeks about what what shape that might take it's interesting that you talk about the pandemic there because it's been noticeable in the last few months with the government rhetoric of you know talking about building back better it's almost leveling up has been sort of added on to the end of that it's let's build back better and by leveling up the the entire country do you think they're maybe going to try and tie these two elements together yes i think so i mean the, the i guess the point that a lot of people have made is that the pandemic has exposed uh, and exacerbated some of the existing inequalities in 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 this country and the you know as we've said before the north has been hardest hit and you know it, it, a large part of that is because uh, of you know working patterns in the north people are less likely to be able to work from home and health inequalities mean that people in the north are, le- are more likely to uh, to, to die as a result of coronavirus. So I, I think the um, the the levelling up agenda will, in the government's view and in a lot of other people's view, will help um, address some of those issues that allowed uh, the pandemic to sort of to uh, wreak havoc in such an unequal fashion in the first place. So I think yeah, the two the two things are sort of inexorably linked. Thank you for that um, for that insight. It's certainly something that you've been looking at in detail for for quite a long time now. But this is your last episode of the podcast. You are moving on to pastures new. Do you have um, any favourite interviews that you have conducted since the Pod's Own mm. Country began? Interesting. Well, yeah, I've I've done a few. I mean, on interviews that I've really enjoyed and actually talking to Kim Ledbeater as you're doing uh, doing today when I uh, 
back in 2017, I did interview Kim and it was one of the first interviews she did after her sister died. And that was kind of an extraordinary interview because she was so open and candid considering how, uh, the, you know, the terrible experience she'd had. And she even gave me a, a hug at the end, which was uh, unusual for a, 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 a reporter to get a hug from an interviewee. So that was, that was kind of interesting. I've done on the podcast i mean we've had had so many uh fascinating guests i think one that uh i quite enjoyed because this is quite unusual was we did a great one with uh keelan carr who was the speech writer for theresa may in uh in her conference speech uh her well-received conference speech uh a few years back and he was taking us through some of the tricks of the trade uh in terms of you know making uh getting Theresa May's views across and and uh tackling some of the big issues of the day and he'd never really done uh, an interview before and actually that was the first podcast interview that I'd uh done and uh yeah it was slightly beset with technical issues but uh once I'd re-recorded part of it it kind of uh it worked out it worked out okay because uh yeah as 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 we both know uh doing the interview is the easy bit the actual technical side of <laughs> podcasting can be can be a bit tricky yeah i'm i'm still very very new to this um but thank you for all of your help and input it has been much appreciated and i hope that you will keep listening to them as i try and click and video my way through making this podcast of course Now let's move on to our chat with Kim Ledbeater, who spoke to us from her office in Westminster this week. I am in Kim Ledbeater's office with her. It is a Tuesday afternoon and she has just been carrying out her duties. What have you done so far this afternoon, Kim? Well, I've just finished having a wonderful Zoom call with a group of children from Heckmondwike from Holy Spirit School in Hetmanwike. Um, and sadly, they can't do their real life visits to Parliament at the moment, as they would normally do. So they've done a virtual visit to Parliament. So it was an absolute pleasure answering the questions of these, these young people about, about how the job's going so far, basically. So you're in week two now? Yes, it's all a bit of a blur, but I believe this is week two. And how, how have your first days down here in Parliament been? Very, very busy, uh, very hectic. Um, and what's interesting, you know, when you, when you come in on a by-election, you have a, a very intense campaign um, to get elected. And then I was fortunate enough to get elected. And then you literally are suddenly on a train to London um, starting a brand new job, which you weren't sure you were ever going to get. So it's all, it's all very strange, but I'm surrounded by an excellent team. I've been extremely well received by all the staff here on the parliamentary estate and um, my fellow MPs have been extremely helpful. There's a lot to sort out. I mean, and again, I think this is maybe people don't realise, but you have to then set an office up in Westminster. You have to set an office up in your constituency. You have to hire a staff team. You have to find your way around. So it really is like, you know, first day at, at school type stuff. Uh, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, the thing is, I just want to get on with the job, but you've got to do all the, the logistical stuff before you can do that. Um, so, yeah, I've got a, a couple of weeks before recess, before the summer break, um, and I'll just try and get as organised as I can in that time. You uh, you spoke about it being uh, like first day at school, being put on a train. Um, obviously, that Friday morning, you, everybody is all the way through Thursday night into Friday when and um, the election result for an MP gets declared. How was that Friday for you? Tell me, tell me what that was like. 
Yeah, I mean, the whole process is, is really quite bizarre, isn't it? You do this six-week job interview, knocking on people's doors, um, and then they deprive you of a night's sleep. So you wait to hear whether you've got the job or not. And then you find out you either have or you haven't. Um, and then you're thrust in front, front of cameras and, and, and uh, microphones to, to talk about it when you're already pretty shattered. <laughs> um, and, and then your feet don't touch the ground because you have to crack on with the job. So it, it was very intense. And obviously, it was a very close result. So there's a certain amount of stress and pressure that goes with that. You know, we'd been putting in 12-hour days throughout the campaign, trying to get to speak to as many people across the area as possible. Um, I did manage to catch up on a little bit of sleep over the weekend, but I also wanted to go out and, and speak to people to say thank you for their support. I wanted to go out and connect with the community groups that I'd met during the campaign. So the weekend was pretty busy. And then, as you say, straight on a train to London um, on the Sunday evening, actually, to come down here. Um, so it's full on, but also, you know, that's how I tend to operate best. So it's, it's also pretty good. It, it was a very, very close result. I remember standing there in in the hallway they were counting all of the votes and they put little slips of paper into the piles of ballots, you know, pink slip for 100, a blue slip for 500. And we were stood there on the balcony as journalists and we couldn't work out how many piles each person had. It was really, really quite quite close to call. Were, were you surprised with, with, how, with how things turned out and with how close it was? I knew it was going to be close, um, you know, even from when I decided to put myself forward. Politics is, is, you know, an interesting place at the moment. And, you know, people vote for lots of different reasons. And, and we had 16 candidates who put themselves forward. So, you know, it was, it was never going to be easy. And I went into it with my eyes wide open. Um, I mean, clearly, by the time we got the full, you know, ballot paper out and, and all those different people were standing. Um, yeah, you, you knew it wasn't going to be easy. But I'm very proud of the campaign that we conducted and um, we couldn't have worked any harder. But I think what it showed to me is there is there's enthusiasm for politics from some people, but there's a lot of apathy and there's a lot of disengagement from people. And the fact that we had a 47% turnout, you know, which, which people have said to me is actually quite good in a by-election, but for me, that's 53% of the people who didn't vote. And I think we need to look at why that is. And, and that's not their fault. You know, we need to look at, uh, at how they feel about politics and how they feel about politicians. And that's certainly something I'm, I'm keen to look at going forward. Um, but no, I knew it was going to be close. I was always optimistically confident that we could do it. And I'm very proud that we did do it. Uh, but it did make for quite a tense, yeah, a tense Thursday evening, shall we say. Yeah, this must be this must be quite a different job to whatever you've been been doing previously. I know that um, obviously you've done some press before, but just just tell our readers, you know, what what was your job before this, and how how is this so different? How how have you ended up here, as it were? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is different, but actually, in some ways, it's not because I'd been working for for Joe's Foundation for the past few years, so the Joe Cox Foundation, and actually, I'd been doing that locally and nationally. So the role of the MP is, is quite similar in that you have to have a very powerful network within your constituency at a local level, but also you have to have the national reach of going to Westminster. And that's kind of what I was doing already. So I'd spent a lot of time in Westminster, you know, through the work that we'd done on loneliness, through the work that we'd done on civility and public life, through the campaigning that we'd done around bringing communities together through the great get together. So I'd spent a lot of time in Westminster and in London. But equally, I'd also built up and, and have built up a, a, a very strong network across Batley and Spen of community organisations, businesses, faith leaders, charities, 
you know, and I think that's one of the things that that resulted in a successful result because a lot of people know me and they know the work that I've done at a local level. And I think that's that's hopefully what you know what made people think I'd, I'd, I'd be good at the job. So doing the national and the local isn't new to me. You know, finding out about how Westminster works and and, and the day to day runnings of, of the chamber and all that sort of stuff. Some of that is new, uh, but I'm not faced by that. And I think one of the the other things about the campaign was you know people were keen to have a a non-traditional politician in politics. I think that really resonated with people. Prior to, to, to Joe's murder, I worked as a lecturer, so I worked at two different colleges. So I, I firmly believe in the power of education. I've done lots of stuff in schools with young people around physical activity and sport. That was my passion. I run my own business, so I know what it's like to, you know, to be self-employed. Um, I'd worked in the private sector at the start of my career. So a lot of things that people didn't know about me, you know, before Joe was killed, I think people got to learn about me during the campaign, and that brings with it a quite wide range of experience, which I think are all things that I can bring to the job. And obviously, during during you know the, the foundation years, I've done a lot of media, a lot of press, and and those sorts of things. So as much as you guys can be quite scary at times, you know, I, I, I'm very keen to have a positive relationship with the media uh, and to work together in the interests of the constituency. You mentioned there having done a lot of work at a local level and at a national level. But now as an MP, you are un undeniably a public figure. You know, having having seen your sister being an MP previously, how are you finding that switch into into being, you know, a person in the public eye? I mean we're only, what is it, ten days in. So I probably haven't fully um experienced it yet. Um I mean what was lovely in the days after I was elected was people you know saying well done in the street and people saying hello to me and and you're right I've had some of that in the last few years but I think that has definitely increased now um but you know that is part of the job isn't it you know that that is you, you are and I used to say, I said to people knocking on the doors you are a public servant my job is to serve you so I want to be able to have those conversations with people um whether it's in the street or on the doorstep or, or wherever it is um but it is weird when people recognize you and people know who you are. And, you know, we always used to say to Joe, when Joe got elected, we don't want anyone to know who we are. We want to stay behind the scenes. We'll look after you. We'll look after the kids. We'll sort your travel out and your food and all the rest of it, because Joe was always disorganised. Um, but it's been a five-year learning experience for me. Um, and the main thing for me is, you know, if you're in a public position, how you can use that public position to do good that's why I did the work with the foundation and that's why I put myself forward to be the MP so this for me isn't about being on the telly it's not about having your photo taken it's not about people knowing who you are it's about the role that you can have in making a difference to people's lives uh, and, and that's the way that I'll be approaching the job. You you and your parents may want you and the rest of the family may have wanted to have uh, stay out of the public eye all those years ago um, but you know, people, journalists were speaking to your parents on, on the day after the result. How, how are they finding, finding this? Well, mum and dad are doing really well. Um, but people won't know because I didn't, we didn't tell anyone. But my dad, sadly, got quite poorly before the election and um, he got kidney cancer. So on the day that I got selected, he had to have his kidney taken out. So he'd had a really tough time while all this was going on which I guess in a way was a blessing because they didn't see some of the, some of the nastiness. Um, so he's still recovering from that. So, but they were really supportive from the start. And, and, and one of the things that they said, which really resonated with, with me was, look, if you don't go for it, you might regret not going for it. Um, and they also really believe in me and they believe that I can make a difference. And I think that's why they're, they're so supportive. Anyway, so dad's recovering well, but on the day um, of the election, 
when when the result came through, they were they were over the moon and very emotional as we all were. And then they came down when Keir Starmer came up to to Clackheaton. And um, so we did this thing in the park to say thank you to people. And then I went back to the office and then I said, oh, where's mum and dad gone? And one of my colleagues said, oh, they're just doing some media interviews. And I was like, oh, my God, what are Dean and Gordon doing, doing media interviews? My dad's not very well. But anyway, but they're just such good people, um, you know, and and they want to support me and they want to do what's right for our community. Um, and I couldn't do any of it without their support. That's astounding, you know, what you were saying about your your dad being ill all the way through this. It can't have been it can't have been an easy campaign. No, it's been a tough campaign on lots of levels. Um, you know, and dad being poorly was part of that. But ultimately, you know, I don't want people's sympathy. <laughs> you know, I want people to want me to to be successful. Of course I do. I want people to to support me um in the interests of the community um but you know there's no denying that we've had we've had a tough time but lots of families have had tough times um and i think again one of the reasons for me putting myself forward um in into politics is to help people who have a tough time that's one of the main things you can do as an mp you know i think one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is what mps do in terms of their casework you know so you know, stuff that goes on in the constituency, trying to help people who might be having issues, whether it's around planning or whether it's housing or immigration, all those things. You know, we don't see that work. And that's a really important part of an MP's job. It's not just about standing up in Parliament. It's about helping people uh, with their day-to-day -day problems. The campaign was was difficult. And at times it looked quite intense and maybe quite intimidating. There was obviously that video, video of you being, being shouted at in the street that that went viral on the internet. Do you think you brought any fears or anxieties with you back in into Westminster as a result of, of what happened during the campaign? In terms of how I feel, in terms of whether I feel fearful or, do you mean? In, in however you may want to approach that question. No, I mean, I think we'd done work um, through Joe's Foundation for the last few years about civility in public life and how toxic it was when Joe was murdered and how sadly things probably haven't got much better. Um, and, you know, the by-election campaign showed to me how bad it can get. You know, we can't have a situation where people are being attacked in the street and having things thrown at them and people just screaming and shouting at each other. I just think that's not what this country needs. That's not what the community of Batley and Spen needed. And I just don't think it's helpful. And equally, as a woman who has chosen to put herself forward for for this position you know to have people shouting at me in the street i just think that's not acceptable and i'll answer anybody's question but you know some of the stuff that went on they didn't want me to answer their questions they just wanted to shout at me you know and and that's very very different and you know it's absolutely fine and i've said this for the past few years we're not going to agree on everything people are going to disagree we should be having robust passionate political debate it's a cornerstone of democracy but when someone just wants to be aggressive and and then you know personally insult you there's there's no place for that there's absolutely no place for that in our in our society as far as i'm concerned and you talked about things being toxic at the time that joe was murdered and things maybe having not changed do you how did it feel sitting in the house of commons the other day under under the press that was that was for your sister being in the house was um really emotional as i knew it would be um, but I was also incredibly proud. 
you know, Joe used to say to me, oh, you should do more. You should push yourself. You're wasted. You should challenge yourself. And, and she used to say that to lots of people because Joe just wanted everyone to be the best that they could possibly be. Um, so being, you know, being in the house, being here generally is emotional. Um, I'd spent time here, like I say, with, with the foundation and, you know, I'd, I'd come down when Joe was elected. So I'm not intimidated by it. Um, but obviously, there's a very powerful history for me associated with this place. Um, but, you know, a lot of that makes me even more determined to be focused and, and to do a really good job. And, you know, if I can be half the MP that Joe was, then I'll be very, very happy with that. Going back slightly um, to the campaign trail, when when you won, there was quite a lot made of in the press the following day. It was, you know, oh, pressure's been taken off the Labour Party, you know, um, Keir Starmer may have faced um, leadership challenges if if Kim hadn't won, et cetera, et cetera. Do you feel a bit of pressure because of that narrative, you know, sort of you you being the saviour of another problem for the Labour Party? <laughs> what was interesting for me was during the by-election, I now know there was an awful lot of other stuff going on around me. Yeah. But for me, that by-election was about the local issues, speaking to local people, connecting with local people and trying to show them how much I genuinely care about our community. And that's what the job would mean to me. So a lot of the other stuff that was going on around me, um, I either wasn't aware of or didn't want to concern myself with, to be quite honest, because what I wanted to do was to make sure that we had a positive outcome for Batley and Spen. And everything that I said in that campaign, I really believe, you know, to have somebody who lives locally and has always either lived or worked in the constituency makes a massive difference to, to our area because it is a complicated area. There's different towns and villages with different issues. Now, anybody else who took the job on would have to learn that. And that would take quite a long time, I think. You know, it could be six months working out what matters to which bit of the constituency. Um, so even, all, even though all the other stuff was going on nationally around me, my focus was very, very clear that I had to be focused on the local issues and, you know, the, the passion that I had for representing the area where I live. It was, it was quite clear when I was in the constituency that even if people didn't know you directly, they knew of people who knew you or, you know, you were the friend of the next door but one neighbour <laughs> or however, however it may have worked. Given that your proximity and quite clearly your closeness with the community that you are representing, like you said, it's where you're from, what are your priorities for Batley and Spen now that you're here? But then also as a politician, as an MP, what are your priorities for national politics? I mean, you get the chance to talk about whatever you want when you're here basically yeah gosh I mean there's so much to do and there's so much to to choose from essentially but you're right in terms of the campaign we set ourselves a bit of a challenge to do a door knocking round where somebody didn't know me and I don't think we ever found one um so this was people who went to school with mum and dad or people um who I used to work with or people who knew Joe of course and then lots of people who used to come to my exercise classes so I used to teach aerobics and boxer size and various other things within the constituency at about eight different venues so there was always somebody oh I used to come to your classes uh, you know and that's a part of my life that I miss greatly um so yeah so I think having those local connections was really important and will be really important as as I go through with the job in terms of the th things that prioritize on well you know I have to focus on the things that people spoke to me about during the campaign and some of that is very hyper local stuff so that's about working with the council on issues around roads anti-social behavior protecting green spaces 
uh, you know, planning applications and things like that. So very local issues that, you know, people say, oh, that's not the job of an MP. But actually, the role of an MP is to get people around the table. And that's one of the things I've done over the last few years, get the right people in the room, assess what the problems are and come up with a plan. So whether that's the police or it's the councillors or it's residents or it's, you know, Neighbourhood Watch or road safety charities or whoever it is, one of my jobs is to get those people together and say, right, what are we all going to do um, to solve this? Because we don't want a blame culture. I, I don't want to be, you know, it's their fault or it's their fault, right? What are we all going to do? Because like most things in life, it's got to be a team effort. You know, if we all do our bit of the jigsaw, then we get a positive result. So there's all the, the local stuff. Um, nationally, uh, you know, again, where do you start? There's so much that I feel passionately about. You know, my background is in sport and physical activity. And I think there's a big piece of work to be done around grassroots sport and how we can get more investment into grassroots sport. And by doing that, tackling some of the other issues that we've got in our communities around antisocial behavior and crime, you know, and speeding cars. Let's give young people a real focus and let's give them something that gives them a sense of identity and a sense of belonging. And for me, sport and physical activity is a really powerful way of doing that. But again, I would broaden that out to other things within the community, you know, whether it's arts and, 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 and cultural things and, you know, giving young people something positive to focus on, I think makes a huge difference and thereby tackles some of the other issues that we're talking about. I'm massive on prevention, prevention rather than cure, you know, similarly in terms of health, you know, what are we doing to tackle um, health inequalities so that we reduce diabetes and obesity? You know, that's what my degree was in, health-related um, physical activity and well-being. You know, how can we prevent people getting ill rather than just thinking about the sticking plaster of the cure? So there's health, there's, there's, then there's education. I believe passionately in, in the power of education to make a difference to, to, to people's lives. Further education particularly, as someone who taught in two FE colleges, we talk a lot about schools, we talk a lot about universities, but what about FE? It's often the, the forgotten relative. Um, and then the big issue around, you know, civility in public life. We've done work on this in the foundation and obviously, you know, I've got bitter experience of, of how toxicity in public life can, can be, you know, irretrievably damaging to, to a family and to a community. Um, and I think there's a lot of work to do on that, whether that's through working with social media companies, whether it's through working with, you know, um, community organisations. Um, how can we encourage people to treat each other with civility, even when we disagree? You know, all the stuff that's going on at the minute with racism in football, it is disgusting to think that in 2021, we're still dealing with some of those issues. So I think there's something around, not just politicians, but anybody who ends up in, in the public arena, um, whether that's through politics or show business or sport or whatever it is, you know, how can we make sure that they're treated with respect? You know, like some of these guys playing football are like 19 years old and they're getting horrific abuse. Um, so anyway, I, I'm going on a bit about that, but I do, do feel really strongly about, you know, I've put myself forward and, and I've been quite lucky in the charity work that I've done where I haven't had huge amounts of abuse, but it's already started. And I just think you've never met me. You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. You make assumptions about who I am or what I think or what I believe. And you look on Twitter, you look on Facebook and all those things. And you think it's so destroying to see the abuse that people think it's acceptable to put out towards you. So I think there's a big piece of work to be done on that as well. So, yeah, I'm going to be pretty busy. Huh? <laughs> what sort of abuse have you had so far? I mean, at this point, where it's, it's about 10, between 10 days and two weeks in. What, what have you been experiencing? I mean, there's been nothing.
nothing too personal, I have to say. You know, I've, I've been fairly fortunate in that regard. But just, just that sort of level of when you say something positive about one thing, people just then bringing in something else um, negative. Um, you know, you know, and, and on specific issues or on, on more general issues, and you know, and I understand that you have to be held to account. Of course, you do. But then when it you know it becomes personal and. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I've, I've been lucky so far, not too much. But the MPs that I've had conversations with in the past, you know, people being shouted at in the street, people, um, you know, having really horrible, threatening abuse on social media. Um, and it's just not acceptable um, for whoever you are. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I, and then they tell you not to look, but I'm the sort of person I'd rather know what's going on. <laughs> But then you look and then, you know, that then the self-doubt creeps in. So it's a, it's a really difficult, really difficult one, I think. Um, my advice to anybody is until you've actually met somebody and you know what they're about, just resist the urge to be horrible um, because you've got no idea what's going on in their life. That's, yeah, I have to say, since obviously I'm fairly new to this job, we st you started your job around the same time <laughs> I started my job. And on certain days when there are big political issues, my Twitter mentions can sort of go, well, I think a nice way of putting it would be going through a washing machine and then yeah. coming yeah. out the other end. It's just not very nice at all. You're right. And, and this is this is journalists as well. I mean, I, you know, journalists have got a job to do. MPs have got a job to do. The police have got a job to do. Sports people have got a job to do. They, they are our jobs. And, and what we often do is we dehumanise people in those roles. So they stop being someone's mum or dad or sister or brother or daughter, you know, and they just suddenly become a journalist or an MP. And actually, underneath whatever title we, we might have, there is a person. And it's really easy for us to forget that, particularly when you're not seeing them in the real world. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to step back, step back a little bit and think about, you know, how we treat other human beings. Thank you. Um, thank you very much for time. I've been really appreciative in what I'm sure is a very, very busy calendar, um, but I look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you very much. It is bonkers busy, but I am doing, as I always do, giving 100% to everything. Thanks so much for listening to Pods in Country this week. I've been Rob Parsons, the Yorkshire Post political editor. And if you've liked what you've heard, please do leave us a review on any of the services in which you get your podcasts, so Apple or Spotify or iTunes, and we will see you next week. And if you've got a story that you'd like us to discuss, please email caitlin.doherty at jpimedia.co.uk and our podcast will be back next week. Bye. -bye.